It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey guys, what's going on? Jeff Mosher here from the Inside the Birds podcast. Listen, I am covering the Eagles on my own independent journalism route on patreon.com slash Jeff Mosher. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Jeff Mosher. You're going to get really in-depth coverage. You're going to get all 22 tape breakdowns, previews for games, recaps, scouting reports, inside information, the whole gamut. It'll be very comprehensive Eagles coverage for only $1.99 a month. That's like six cents a day for great coverage you can't beat that also for every 100 subscribers i'm gonna donate ten dollars to the wounded warrior project listen there's no pop-up ads there's no distractions and the content you don't even have to look for it comes straight to you via email patreon.com slash jeff mosher check it out Welcome, everyone. Without further delay, it is episode five of the Inside the Birds podcast, broadcasting live here from the 94 WIP studios in Center City, Philadelphia, in conjunction, of course, with the Go Birds Network and their Facebook Live pod that you are, or Facebook Live feed that you're catching us on. I've got Adam Kaplan to my right. I'm Jeff Mosher. And on the phone with us from parts unknown somewhere out there in Jersey (laughs) is our uh, former Eagle, Billy Osborne. And guys, we got a great show lined up. We've got so much to talk about. Finally, we're doing a podcast where we have A, a game to talk about, and B, a game to preview. But before we do any of that, we're going to talk about something really important, and that's what always goes on between in a, in a regular season between games, and that's you have your injuries, 
and your workouts, and for the Eagles, have a little bit of information on both of that. Adam, I know you've got some things on both teams and some guys that might be banged up. What you got? Yeah, so let's first start with the injuries. And for the home team, the Buccaneers, remember this game is a Sunday game now, uh, their first Eagles' first Sunday game of the year. Deshaun Jackson's got a concussion and a shoulder injury, but the big one is the concussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, more often than not, players that suffer a concussion the week before don't play the following week. Um, so it, it's not that Deshaun has a history of concussions. He couldn't finish the game, so you, you, you have to get through the week here, and he's going to have to get through the protocol. It will not be easy for him to get cleared. If he doesn't play, and I think in all probability he won't, but if he does not get cleared uh, to play, it'll be Chris Godwin, the second-year receiver from Penn State, who has really grown. He had a very good training camp in summer. The little he played last season, he did very well. He will be the eventual replacement for Deshaun Jackson as he started probably next as soon as next year. I think it probably will be next year. And if Deshaun does not play, we could see the season debut of former Penn receiver Justin Watson. Oh, how about that? Who was a fifth-round pick who did very well during the Senior Bowl. Uh, he had a good, very good offseason. He got, that helped him get drafted. He was a fifth-round pick from Penn. who's was more of a slot receiver, could play inside or outside. So he would, he would dress as uh, their fifth receiver if Deshaun does not play. So now, you have a Penn State kid on the outside and maybe a Penn kid on the inside? Could. Could, could see that now. Set Def- football back 30 years, my friend. <laughs> Watts is good. He's a tall no, he's, 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 he's a good player. Defensively, now here's where it gets interesting. The Bucks put on one of their top three corners, Vernon Hargraves on IR. He, he's having first round lab- labor surgery, former first round pick. And their other starting corner, Brent Grimes, uh, had a groin injury. He didn't play last week. Uh, he played, he got hurt. Um, wait, did you know? I'm sorry, no. He got hurt. He got added to the injury report late last week. Yeah, he's banged up. And he didn't play, right. and he hasn't practiced yet. He didn't practice Wednesday. If he doesn't practice this week, he won't play. So what you're seeing is now uh, Ryan Smith, uh, who's played safety and corner for the Bucks. He started 15 games in 2016. And, Car- and Carlton Davis, who started again, who started last week, would start again. He's a rookie second-round pick for the Bucks. So to me, from a matchup standpoint, guys, this is where the Eagles could make their money this game. By attacking that injured secondary. And the other thing is, actually, this is the one more we need to add. Mm-hmm. Jason Pierre-Paul has a right knee injury. He didn't practice Wednesday, and when he talked to the media, he was not sure if he could play. And he's their best pass rusher. This is not good news, I think, obviously, for the Buck defense. No, obviously. I mean, you're talking about some star players for there. Hargrave's a first-round pick. Grimes, a very good corner. That's their two starting corners. Uh, JPP, a guy they traded for, a Pro Bowl pass rusher. And, and Deshaun Jackson, a Pro Bowl wide receiver. So finally, the Eagles get to meet a team that's as banged up as they are. Obviously, on the Eagles side, Adam, Carson Wentz is the big story. It's going to be the big story until he plays. Doug Peterson talked to the media today. He's getting tired of the questions. He said Nick Foles is the starter. I think the weird report from Chris Mortensen is that the GPS tracker is starting to show favorable signs for Carson Wentz. Can you explain the GPS tracker? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, for, in terms of velocity. Mine just tells me where to get from point A to right. point B. I don't know how it works for right, Carson's Right, right. I, I, look, GPS is really big, uh, really big in the National Football League. All teams use it, uh, especially for quarterbacks. Uh, but fact of the matter is, until he takes all of the first team reps, by the way, he is not taken this week. That's right. my understanding. Scout team right now. Y- yep. So uh, he's not going to dress this week. Mm-hmm. What will happen is, there are two things that need to happen. He needs to get clear for contact, which he's not had yet. And he's got to take all those first team reps. I think it's probably going to take two weeks of doing that. Uh, I talked to a quarterback coach who I know very well, and he said that it doesn't matter what the injury is. If the guy's out for nine months, he's got to take all the first team reps for two weeks, then you clear him. Mm-hmm. So let's say... Car- Let's say uh, Carson gets cleared next week for 
the indie game, at least gets clear for contact. The clock is running. He would either start that week or week four at the Titans. Um, I would still think it's stretching it to, for it only have one week of, uh, of, of full team reps. Uh, and remember, as I noted on last week's show, the Eagles last season, Carson Wentz took every single first team rep according to a, a source close to the situation. Mm-hmm. I think it's a major stretch for him to play next week. He, he's got a even if he's cleared on Monday, it's a major he, he, okay. stretch for him to play he, against the Titans week three. What this quarterback coach told me or is it Colts? Uh, they sorry, play Colts. the Colts next week right. at home, and the week after they play at the Titans. Right. He said, in his opinion, he doesn't. He he's not. It's not like he knows much about the specific injury. He's just concerned with a guy being out for nine months, not taking, getting one week with the ones. He would want at least two weeks. Now, the Eagles may feel differently. Obviously, the absolute earliest he would play would be against the Colts. I still think the fourth game, but the bottom line is he's he's very close now. Now, Mm -hmm. I I think now we could say it, he's close. Mm -hmm. But this is a judgment call by the team doctors. Doug Peterson has nothing to do with this. It's healing, it's in, Car- in in Carson's best interest. The Eagles have taken what I would call a conservative approach. I'm certain he could have played a couple weeks ago if they wanted, if they felt like it was in his best interest. It's not about now has he rehabbed enough. He's rehabbed enough. Okay, he's had a great rehab. The longer you wait, the better it is. The stronger your knee can be. Of course, yeah, of course. and that's why they've yeah. done it like this. So, guys, that's, Bill, you, that's where this is. Go Bill, ahead. You, with all the work that you do in technology, I know it's mostly with the helmet working for Defend Your Head and the ProTech technology, but have you heard, do you have an understanding of the GPS concept when it comes to uh, the Carson's recovery here from a knee injury and surgery? I have no idea what the GPS thing, but it's obviously probably measuring how fast he does something, how much he of gets course. to point A, point B how he's reacting to certain things. And I think Adam's point is, is to be really well taken. And if that's the, the uh, info that he's getting, and I, and I agree with him, that if you need a, a week or two of first-team reps, here's what I'm thinking, guys, and I'm just going to throw this out there. Based on their schedule, as long as they're progressing and as long as they're winning and there's no big blow-up uh, at the quarterback position, I think the first time you might see Carson is week seven. After they have their bye that's week too and long. they come back wow, again. Wow, that's a long time, what, what, Bill. But, Bill, why do you that's think... What, that's what I'm predicting. What? But why, though? What What would give you that well, sense that they would wait too long? Everything you just said, number one, time. the more time you have with an injury, the better, especially this one. Okay. Number two, you need at least one or two weeks of first-team reps. Well, this isn't a pre this isn't OTAs. This is you're preparing for a game to win. So if they're preparing for a game to win, they don't really have time to like nurse a person on to get to their first team reps. And it's not that they're nursing because he's obviously a great player, but he needs to be at a top, top level in practice to be able to give the team and to be able to play for that game. So I'm just saying this is the way I'm looking at the schedule. If they keep winning and if they don't have any blowups offensively, I feel that they might wait and just, as you said, just keep waiting, waiting, waiting. Let him buy more time. Every week that he can heal is better for him. Week seven might be the first time you actually see him right, for an I, extended period of time. I, I see what's going on here, and let me just be really frank about it. It's it's <laughs> that Bill is really still upset, disappointed to say the least, about the spanking that his Pitt Panthers took <laughs> to my Penn State yeah, team. That it was tight so early. now he yeah. wants just to be a Debbie Downer for every Penn State slash Eagles fan in the Delaware Valley and push Carson Wentz's comeback to Week 7. We're on to you, Bill, and thank you very much for your insight, but Week 7 doesn't sound very good to either of us. But no, no 
Hey, guess what? It doesn't sound good to me either. I just <laughs> listened to my partner right there, Adam Kaplan, who nobody knows more about football and has more inside skinny than him. So based on what he just said and what I know about the football, what I know about quarterbacking, if I'm looking at this just from the outside, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that week seven might be the time that you see him. Do I hope he comes back this week? Absolutely. I'm just saying it based on what Adam just reported. Adam, any other injuries? It's, an, it's just an opinion. Any yeah. other? Yeah, of exactly. course. I mean, listen, the only people, this is why I laugh at Doug Peterson lashing out at the media for reports that come out from A, the NFL Network, and B, ESPN. I, he, the only the way, way that, yeah. that those guys like Mortensen and Rapp get the information is from somebody within the confines right. of the Novacare complex. Because or, 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 those are the only guys Jeff, that someone, know. Jeff, it's someone who knows. Okay? I, of it's course. someone who, or... It's familiar because they've talked to someone who knows. Sometimes you get secondhand information, but the bottom but, but line is... that's my point. Let's yeah. say it came from an yeah. agent. An yeah. agent can only know by talking with the team his and the a, doctor. His, so, his uh, agents aren't talking, so... That, that, yeah, well, that's me. my point, yeah. is that it's Doug, Doug's looking at the media like, oh, i got to figure out where this is all coming He's from. Actually Clean your house, bro. By the, way, by the way, by the way, I don't think he cares. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah, I, think I think it's all I think he's joking. Guy. So, look, he, he's doing better. So that, that, that's the situation. Hey, how about this on the Ingles injury report? Everyone practiced on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey's not playing this week. I don't think he plays next week. Uh, week four or five is what player sources said. Now, Darren Sproles is a hamstring injury, but he worked today. Wentz obviously was limited. Mm-hmm. Sean Gibson showed up with the injury report with a knee injury. He was limited. I wonder what happened, Jeff, in week one, why he, he was a non-factor. Well, I tell you this, and Bill and I will get into this a little bit more as we recap the Atlanta game, but uh, I saw one particular play that the Eagles could have sprung a really nice pass in the flat to Darren Sproles. There were two blockers. One of them, I believe, was Aguilar, who had blocked his man well. Another one was Shelton Gibson, who basically gave the red carpet treatment to Sproles and had him dropped right at the, at the point of where mm-hmm. he caught the ball. Uh, DeAndre Carter is a kid who played 53 snaps. That was incredible. Which is insane <laughs> for a guy who's a rookie free agent who just made the team. He caught one ball. He actually had some really good run blocks, though. For a five foot nine kid, that guy's got some strength, but you can't play that guy 50 times. That, that was it. Very, guys, it was a very <laughs> interesting game plan. They came out with Sproles as the starter. Yep. He played almost every snap in the first quarter. And then Ajayi got in, as we know, in, late in the second quarter. And he only had three carries the first half. But right. what happened was he got off to a good start in the second half. So Doug Peterson stuck with him. Doug calls the plays. And as Doug said uh, on Monday, now that he's seen him back and he, he and he looks right with that foot injury, he's back and it, he's going to be the guy, which we It makes we sense that if a guy's got a foot injury and you don't know how many snaps you can play him, you're going to try to play him in the second half as opposed to the first half. You're trying to save what in a close, tight game season opener. Obviously, you would probably want him more in the second half, which is what they were able to use. We are going to get into a lot of that breakdown. Real quick, though, Adam, the Eagles had uh, any other injuries that, that stand out to you? Anybody we should be watching that, that you might have? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Jason Kelsey, if you, if you noticed, uh-huh. on the second to last play of the half, he limped off with a, like, a foot, like a foot injury. Right. And I didn't, I didn't talk to him, but I saw him like in the hallway after just walking and he had a sleeve over his knee. Um, he practiced full. He's not even on the injury report. So obviously he's fine. So that I just made a mental note of it to mention on our podcast. If he showed up with the injury report, mm-hmm. then we would at least know that what I saw was something that would be noted. But he's f- apparently fine. And that's that's a good thing because you cannot uh, ha- not have him. Uh, that, that would have been big. But you're not going to look for the Eagles right now. They're looking as healthy as they've been in a while. But... 
These things could change with the Falcons. Unfortunately, they suffered two major major injuries in last week's game. Well, hopefully Kelsey's fine because as Bill knows, and we watched it today while we were going through Tapa again, there was no, probably no bigger play in the game, Bill, than the first touchdown at the goal line that Ajayi scores where it comes out of an imbalance line or unbalanced line where Jason Peters lined up right next to Lane Johnson as right tackle and basically, or extra tight end, I should say, and basically Zach Ertz is your left tackle. The way the linebacker shoots the gap on that play, Bill, you saw it, right, where Jason Kelsey not only blocks his own man, but then he has to do almost a, a 180 pivot and block the linebacker shooting the gap just to clear that spot. Where And remember, Ajayi got the, got the ball over by pushing it with his hand over the goal line. Bill, you saw that. It's amazing. For a guy that was on the bubble a couple years ago after having that great year and everybody's thinking, oh, he lost it. This guy, you know, if you're asking me, and, and you saw this too, the offensive line was the key for the Eagles' victory. They really did a good job protecting um, Nick in the pocket. They did a good, decent job in the run game, and that's a perfect example. You don't see too many centers who can do what he can do. I mean, when they run a sweep, they actually pull him if he's uncovered. That's an unbelievable compliment to his athletic ability. And on that goal line play, he punched the nose guard, took him to his left, and then climbed up to the second level to get the linebacker who was trying to close in to stop that little one-yard game. It wasn't for Kelsey to be able to be able to get his man, the nose guard over top, and then be able to get off to the second level. He probably had been lost for or would stop for like a one-yard loss on the goal line. As it turns out, he gets in, and again, a lot of it was because of Kelsey at the point of attack. One thing that you really observe watching that game is just this, the narrow margin there is in the NFL, specifically between two very good teams like the Eagles and Falcons between victory and defeat. How one slight blah, you know, 10 guys can do everything right, but one guy, and in this case, I'll single out Zach Ertz, who had a really rough game, whether dropping passes or trying to block in the run, he, was re- he just did not play well. One guy can just thwart an entire game plan. If not for Kelsey picking up two blockers, hmm. Ajayi may not get that touchdown. Before, real, real quick, there were a couple of workouts this week that I found very interesting oh, yeah. because the Eagles are really trying. I think it's very obvious that they're not happy with their wide receiver picture. They signed Braxton Miller oh, to their 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 fifty three. I'm sorry, their practice squad. Mm-hmm. I'm of the opinion that if they he can show that he can get open in the slot a little bit, that you might see him sooner rather than later. We'll see. They work out a slew of wide receivers, including Kamar Aiken, who they re-sign. They bring him back. And then uh, one of their workouts was Brashad Perriman, who you thought they might give a look at. He's a former Raven, first-round pick, speed wide receiver. He made a ton of plays in college, especially against my own motto when Brick Bortles was throwing to him. I think there was a natural assumption, Adam, for people to say, well, he came from Baltimore, Joe Douglas was there, so naturally the Eagles are going to sign him. I actually looked into it and talked to someone in the organization who said that Joe, yeah, they brought him in for a workout, but Joe was not necessarily fond of him as a first-round pick. I think people forget that Joe Douglas was a scout, not the college scouting director or not the GM when he was in Baltimore. So obviously Brashad came and worked out, but to this minute, there is no deal for Brashad Perriman. No, there isn't, and he's on a workout tour for teams now. Here's who they worked out this week so far. Paxton Lynch, the former first-round pick of the Broncos. And by the way... Goes to your point about their developing quarterbacks. They do. They're looking for one for the practice squad. I don't know if he has eligibility, but here's another reason why he worked out. You need to have a quarterback to throw to these wide receivers. Mm -hmm. And that's typically what happens is you bring at least one in who will throw to these guys. And who do they work out? Kamar Aiken, as you said. Perriman. Shane Wynn, who's a small, speedy slot receiver uh, who... Played for the Browns. He was an undrafted free agent some years ago. And Albert McClellan was a former starting inside linebacker. Another Raven. <laughs> right. Uh, who, could, who could, quite frankly, the Eagles need a backup middle linebacker, I think. Sure. Oh, Reynolds, Lori Reynolds could play strong side or middle. 
they say he could play weak, but he's really that's really not his position. Um, so the Eagles right now, and, and they also worked out Fitzgerald Toussaint, a former backup running back for the Steelers. Uh, what happens is, and I think fans overreact to these workouts. The, the Patriots will work out every single position. They're the one team that does this more than anyone. Mm-hmm. They work at the most players, and they work out every single position. It doesn't matter how deep you are. Teams put together an emergency list. That's what these are. The Eagles weren't looking to sign anyone in, per se. Now, you mentioned Braxton Miller. He's a former quarterback at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched, Former 210 Big Ten I Conference Player of the Year. I get it, but yeah. he was not going to play quarterback at the next level. No, 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 enough. definitely not. Um, so... He was a slot receiver at the Senior Bowl. He looked great. I remember when. Remember, here's a name from the past: Antoine Randall. Yeah, who was an IU quarterback who went to the Senior Bowl and was unbelievable. That got him drafted by the Steelers. So Miller immediately played slot receiver for the Texans. Was a disappointment. Uh, he has decent size for that position, and he's a hard worker. It just didn't work out. And this is what they need to do is they need to develop someone. And the Eagles use what's called their exception. They have two exceptions on the practice squad. They used one of them to sign him, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, so not only they signed Miller, they signed two other practice, two other wide receivers of the practice squad, and as you just mentioned, worked out several others and then signed Aiken. So clearly wide receiver, an area that they're looking Depth. at. And yeah. let's talk about it. So now we can bring the, the Atlanta game in here, and we can really dive into it. I think the biggest thing... Two things stick out to me, Adam and Bill. One, I think we're going to say this a lot throughout the, the entire year. You win games in the NFL with rushing four and blocking five. You don't want to have to blitz too much, and you won't want to have to keep too many Schwartz guys loves in. That. And yep. the Eagles, with the strength on their offensive line and their defensive line, the two strongest units of their team, should be, as long as they don't kick the ball around or have terrible turnovers or do something crazy, no matter what, the Eagles should be in every game because they are as strong as strong can be where you need it most. Offensive line, defensive line. I would agree. If you're, yeah. If, yeah, if I would agree. And when you look at that film, there was those are two evenly matched teams. And uh, I wrote down as we were watching the film, if you're asking me one of the keys, obviously Tampa, uh, you know, they did a, you know, you're looking at the Atlanta game, you're looking at Tampa. To me, when we were watching Tampa's film, too, very similar in style defensively to what they saw with Atlanta. So that's going to help Nick in the offense next week. However, the key, in my opinion, for the Eagles to get that victory and then to get the, you know, the scores in that second half had a lot to do with that offensive line. They did a tremendous job protecting Nick. Nick needs to do a better job getting the ball, uh, job getting the ball down the field. He had 20 completions. But most of them were dump passes underneath or right. short little, you know, little swing passes. We need to find a way to get the ball down the field, and I think that's what you're seeing with the Eagles as far as their wide receiving core. They didn't really do a good job with separation. Right now, that's hurting the entire offense. I tell you, there were two completely different organizational philosophies in that game that I found fascinating. You have Atlanta with their offense, Steve Sarkeesian run. Adam, they used a fullback. 14 times and 14 plays, right? The Eagles haven't had a fullback since 2012. And if you can name him right now, I'll buy you dinner tomorrow night. Oh, my goodness Three, gracious. Two, I have no one. Idea. Oh, John Barcher, our producer's got Who it. Who is it? Leonard Weaver? And, oh, no, no, that's that was, like 2008, yeah, dude. Yeah. No, it's Stanley Havili for all you oh, USC fans. Oh, he was drafted fans. from yeah. Hawaii. Was, oh, oh, it was a USC guy. USC, Hawaiian, okay. I think. But yeah, yeah so yeah, six years, it. they haven't used wow. a fullback, and Atlanta used wow. one. 14 times. Now, the obvious thing is that Atlanta played a lot of 12 personnel with two tight ends. They played a lot of 22 personnel, which is two running backs and two tight ends. Their whole philosophy was let's put as many guys up front and go heavy and try to run and give ourselves favorable passing downs. 
and the Eagles did not let them run on him. No, that surprised me with Jernigan out. I thought I was very surprised that the Eagles' run defense was as good, as good as it was. You know what I learned in that game? The Eagles might have the best secondary in the National Football League. Whoa! I mean, they are. They, they, I, 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 Can no, we but, get Jalen Ramsey on this line, please? <laughs> no, but they. Let me tell you something. The two veteran safeties are terrific. Uh-huh. From one to four corners. Okay. Now that we know that Darby's all the way back physically, he's he's really good. I mean, he may not be the tallest guy, but he's really really good. Jalen Mills is really developed. After a rough start, he's he's done a really nice job. Um, Russell Douglas as a fourth corner, pretty good. Right. Um, and you know, Sidney Jones is working his way in as a a slack corner. Uh, it's eventually, I think he's going to play outside, but for now, it's a pretty good fourth. And you look at the six of them. Um, it, that that's about as good as I think as it gets. And they have they have depth. Jeff, you and I have covered this Eagles team, this organization for many years. How many decades did it seem really since since Bobby Taylor mm-hmm. and and those group of corners? Uh, it's it's been well actually Lito Shepard and Sheldon Brown's really the last time that they had two solid quarters mm-hmm. and to have this kind of depth and by the way they're twenty five or younger right this is what you want and that's why I think with this D line as you guys mentioned mm-hmm. and by the way Najel Bradham we should have mentioned is back from his one game suspension and Hicks knocking wood he doesn't get hurt this is this is this is a really good defense yeah I'll tell you this if you go to the third quarter where the Eagles finally go ahead. Atlanta goes three and out twice. On the first three and out, you had a huge pass breakup from Ronald Darby, if you remember that on Julio Jones. On the second three and out consecutive, you had a pass breakup from Roddy McLeod. And then later in the quarter, you have Matt Ryan's worst pass of the day being picked off by Rasul Douglas, who came in just for a few snaps to play uh, to replace Ronald Darby. So... Well, I think it's a stretch to say they have the best secondary. They certainly have a lot of talent, but they I would say this, the pass rush was responsible for everything the defense did, but without those corners and the safeties making the big plays that you just mentioned that they made on the third downs, you're right that they don't they may not win that and game. And Bill Bill knows this, the 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 the, the secondary and, and the front four for any team plays hand in hand. Bill, you've coached before. Uh, you're you're an analyst for uh University of Pittsburgh football, you're a player. To me, Bill, from playing just about almost every position on a football team, how important is it to have that strong front four? It's it's beyond important. And, and what you just said, if all the listeners out there, it is so important. I don't care how good your secondary is. If you don't have a pass rush, you don't have a front four, it, it, it doesn't matter. And the key with the Eagles is that they're able to stop the run and get pressure with four. That allows you to do so many things in the secondary. If they didn't do that, instead of having that high free safety over top when they're able to play a little bit more aggressively on the corners, and if they get beat, you still have that guy coming off over top to be able to stop the long passes. They then would have to drop him into the running game. And when you now drop him in the running game, you're susceptible to not only long passes up the sideline, your whole middle of your field becomes open. And when you can stretch the defense like that, your defense has a long or going to have a long afternoon. So the fact is, because the Eagles are not only able to have a front four that can stop the run, they can also get home. And then when you put substitutions in, they don't have a really big drop off. That's a tremendous luxury, and that secondary is the benefit of it. Yeah, and I would add this: when you run the wide nine, it's all about not sacrificing coverage. You're going to rush four. Yep. Um, Jim Schwartz hates the blitz. I mean, he he, he says it a lot. It's all about four man pressure. And when you, the other thing we should mention is the Eagles also are very deep at defensive end. I mean, Josh Sweat, who we all were excited about in the preseason, 
He's not. I, I said this before, though. Despite how excited we were, he probably wasn't going to play this season. Right. I said. This, I said. Who, how dresses, you, who, who are you taking off the field? Who you, first of all, who dresses five DNs? Heck, they had to cut Stephen Means. I know. Who signed with now the Falcons? A Falcon. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, when you watch Sunday against the Buccaneers, and it's going to be it's going to be humid, and it's going to be hot in the low nineties. You're going to see that defensive end rotation, which we saw on Thursday night when it was unbelievably hot. This is where it's so important to have depth on the defensive line. Most teams don't. The, the Rams don't. The Rams have a great front three. They run a 34 defense. I mean, they try to trade for Cleo Mack. That's how, that's how little depth they have. So, guys, right. this is why the Eagles are so primed to make another run because of the depth on both sides of the football. Now, going back to the game, and this is something Bill and I really noticed when we were breaking down tape, and it even struck – it occurred to me just watching because we had talked about it so much, is that on one side of the ball, right, you have Sarkeesian and the Atlanta offense doing everything they can to load up on top, go big. They've got weapons, man. They've got Julio oh, God, Jones. loaded. They've yeah. got Mohamed Sanu. They have uh, Devontae Freeman or Coleman, Tevin Coleman, who could easily go into the slot lineup and beat. But Did, they didn't even try to test linebackers. Sark, yeah, Jeff. Well, let me let me just say this. And I, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, and I I was like, look, you, the best way to evaluate an OC is how much the the, the running backs catch the ball in the, in the run game yeah. in the pass game. Excuse me, Tevin Coleman screen pass, twenty six yards, great play. Never got the Never ball. Never got back again. What's what is go- that, uh, that's the, the problem? And now look at what what we noticed from the Eagles. The Eagles had basically one proven, uh, two proven receivers with Wallace and Aguilar, but. After that, a huge drop-off. DeAndre Carter, Shelton Gibson, they had all the reason in the world to come out there with two tight end personnel and have Ertz Which we and thought have was Goddard, and we thought it was going to happen. And my God, 75% of their snaps are three-wide three wide. receiver yeah. formation. First half, especially. Yeah. Now, yeah. Atlanta, just by the way, to go back to the fullback point, Atlanta played three-wide on 65% of their snaps, which has got to be low for the NFL these days. And really, if you think about it, they were they went three-wide ten straight times at the end of the game because you got to throw the ball then, they were really closer to 55% three wide from in the NFL today, where everybody's throwing out wide receivers and flex tight ends, Atlanta went that way 55% of the time. Hmm. Just, now with the Eagles, who have every reason in the world to want to put tight ends on the field more, they went three wide. Bill, you saw that and we noticed... What we notice is that Doug, and I think he's not the only one to do this, it's like they work opposite. When they put three wide receivers on the field is when they're trying to run, right? When yeah, they put think, two tight ends is when they actually try to pass. Yeah, it's, it was definitely a, a, a strategy unfolding, and you can see it. When you, when you were able to watch the film, you could see how what they were doing, and what I thought was amazing, and something that if you don't watch the film, you're not really aware of it, you're, it's tough to see. But I can't tell you how many times... Atlanta ran different coverages depending on what side of the field. They would run zone to the front side and man to the back side. They must have done that in, I'm going to say, in the snaps that we saw, at least 70% of the snaps, they ran separate coverages depending on what side of the field and where the boundary corner was. And, of course, they ran that. They had that blitz one time when they were to the short side of the field and the Eagles went trips to the right side and they bought the inside corner and they got home. Uh, Ajayo, they went to the left. They never saw him coming in, and no, and no, uh, and the and the corner right. was able to get in untouched. So, if you're asking me, it was amazing to watch the Eagles go out of trips formation, and everybody thinks you're going to throw the ball, and they hand it off, and then when they go two tight ends, you think they're going to run it. They actually passed it, and regardless of that, the Eagles still only average a little under four yards per pass. I think. Going forward, they're going to have to do a much better job, whether it's getting the ball down the field to the tight ends or to the outside. All right, Bill, that's my follow-up question. You've watched the, the t- All-22 tape. What happened 
with the plays downfield? Was it on Foles? Was it on the receivers not getting open? There was nobody open. Bill, so, I can so, answer for Bill that. I mean, right. Bill and I looked. Well, there explain were just to me. Okay, so, few people so, open. So, so I'll go first here. Go ahead, Bill. Explain to me why did what did you see from the tape? Were they not getting open? Or would he not pull the trigger? Personally, they weren't getting open, but I think it had a combination to do with the play call, mm-hmm. the way that they were able to come off the line of scrimmage. But you know, sometimes you got to tip your hat, and I'm telling you right now, that Atlanta defense and that secondary was unbelievable and they disguised it almost every time you could not tell whether they were going to go zone or man and at the snap of the ball and and, and you guys will know this i'm going to say 80 percent of the throws in the national football league are predetermined even before the snap uh, occurs and i think what happened with nick is that they did such a great job of disguising and he could never tell where they were going to go man or zone and he was trying to go through his progressions he just had a, a struggle and not only that the Eagles struggled. One time they blitzed, and nobody blitz adjusts. Nobody at the line of scrimmage. The running back went the wrong way. The wide receiver and didn't even run a hot route on that back, play. Yeah, the wide receiver just kept running like a go route. Nobody turned around, and Nick is sitting there in the pocket like, somebody help me out. So I think it was a combination, but if you want my honest opinion, the Eagles wide receivers got to pick it up. They, they did a good job last year, but in that first game, they did not play the way I thought that they would play as a holdover from last year's season. Let me tell you something, Adam. I, I, I rarely do. I, you know, I watch tape just like you and Bill after every game. I don't think I've ever gained more respect for a team that lost, or at least one side of the ball, because I'm not talking about the Atlanta offense, than what Dan Quinn did and the whole game plan that he executed. As, as Bill alluded to, there were times everybody says that you know what they're doing because they predominantly play a cover three, which is true. But within that deep safety, underneath that deep safety, and between those that four man rush, you've got linebackers and nickel guys who are playing man on one side or zone on the other. But mm. on the very next play, it's zone on the same side that they played man wow. and man on the other. And I've not seen that. Before. Oh, it was that listen wow. disguise hybrid coverages. Every they tried everything, and for the most part, it really did work. It I did. mean, they had Nick. Foles be, and I think, and I credit Nick for this. I think, and, and Bill and I know this, that Nick decided in this game that he was going to hit the first read a lot if a guy was open and give his guy maybe a chance to make, miss, make a tackle miss. Or, but Atlanta has so much speed at the linebacker and secondary level. They clo- they're going to win games. They are, I think people left this game, A, thinking Nick Foles stunk, and B, thinking that Atlanta might not be that good because the offense stunk. But their coaching on the defensive side was phenomenal. Now, okay, let me follow it up. Now that we've got the tape, and we knew this was going to happen. We, on our last podcast, Bill broke down about pre-snap and post-snap, what the Falcons might do against RPOs. Now that we've seen a team really limit the Eagles' offense, I wonder if Doug Peterson now knows, okay, teams are now starting to figure us out a little bit, because Doug was incredible last year. Anytime you thought someone was figuring him out, he'd have something different. I wonder... Because of that type of coverage, those combo coverages, where they disguise really well. I wonder, Jeff, does Doug Peterson and Mike Grow come up with something different? Because you're going to have to if teams are starting to beat you. Well, there's no RPO, right, without the threat of a run. Because an RPO is essentially a play action. You know, it's a, it's a run play with a play action built in. And the Eagles ran eight times for, what, 14 yards in the first half? So... When you don't have a running game, you don't necessarily have much of an RPO game, or at least not. You're not making those linebackers cheat up. You're not giving yourself that that kind of guesswork 
for the defense when you have zero running game. So we'll have to see, I think, if, it, if Ajayi becomes a, more of a, an effective weapon for them early on in the game. And then, Bill, what I would say to you is, as a guy who's coached before, and you, you know college concepts and all that, Nick seems to only really function well with these concepts. Let's face it, he That's was right. a disaster before they changed the offense for him. So what do you do for a guy who's coached before, and you've watched so much tape over the years, what do you do here to get Nick comfortable? Because I, they might be running out of options if you can't do RPOs with this guy. You're exactly right. And the thing that I saw is they really struggled with the pace of the game. They Atlanta dictated the pace to the Eagles. And the Ooh, one time good. when the Eagles really had a good, did a good job with their pace is when they went to Philly-Philly. Very right after that, they ran a tremendous play with a long drag over top with a short drag underneath, and they had Ertz come free about 15 yards down the field. But that was all dictated by pace. The thing that amazed me, and a follow-up to what Adam and you said and then what uh, Jeff just said about the defense, watching that tape, I was shocked to see Atlanta not have any bust in the secondary. Not one. Not one blown coverage, not one missed tackle. Not one missed tackle, not one bust, not one guy running free. The closest that the Eagles had to a guy running free is when Nick found Ertz over the middle for about a 16, 17-yard game, and they scored on that drive. And by the way, Adam... Atlanta was really sound. uh, Bill, on that play, you know, to just to back up what I was saying about Nick Foles being more of a manager than a gunslinger, and I think he played a better game than people think just from managing and not one turnover, which wasn't his fault, right? Goddard bobbled the ball on the other. Was, got, the ball was late, though. Yeah, the, the ball was the ball late. Was late. Yeah. Uh, we we saw that a little bit, obviously, when you're not sure where where the open windows mm-hmm. are going to be. But to 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 Bill's point, that pass to Ertz that he's referencing in the fourth quarter that set up the go ahead touchdown was a beautiful example of Nick seeing that coverage and stepping up. The, the pocket was starting to collapse a little bit on the left side. He climbed it. We saw in the first half where he was, his pocket got a little jittery and he would quickly dump it off and made some inaccurate throws. That one, he hung in there. Because we, what we said was, you know, if Carson, we started to see certain plays where if you knew Carson was the quarterback, that it would have just been different. He would have recognized something or he would have stepped up or navigated the pocket. That was a great example of Nick really, when they needed it most, stepping up in the pocket to make a throw. I agree. And I think that Nick's got to do a better job with his eyes. He did a good job of managing. He did a good job of getting the ball where it has to be and sticking out of. And really, they weren't really in great down and distance. I mean, if you remember what I said last week in the podcast, they have to win on first down. Well, as I said, their passing was less than four yards, but they didn't really have a lot of third and long situations. So Atlanta wasn't in a situation where they could blitz a lot. They took advantage of the one time, but we saw a lot of bust up front. The Eagles have to do a much better job offensively as far as picking up the zone reads and the zone blocks because Atlanta did a good job of switching their fronts right before the snap, and I think you're going to see that with Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's defense is very similar, at least what I saw in the secondary, to what they faced this past week against Atlanta. So to me, if they're going to have success, Nick's going to have to do a better job not just predetermining where he's going to go with the ball, but doing a better job with that safety with his eyes and not locking on a receiver to give the defense. Because as you saw in that film, when you lock on a receiver, those corners and those safeties see that, they peak, and they break on the football. I'm glad you brought up Tampa because we're going to kind of mention into it that we're going to preview the game now, kind of move on. I think one thing that you mentioned, Adam, and that we all agree is tempo. They have to get tempo involved, which means they have to get the running game a little bit better off the, off on the on a better foot. The guy to me that really hurt them in the running game in the first half was not any of the linemen, but was Zach Ertz. He really struggled in run blocking, and now he's occupied. He's in that spot now when they want to run, 
and they've got three receivers out there and just one tight end. That one tight end used to be named Brent Selleck, and he was a good blocker. I know, I know. Zach Ertz got manhandled. There were just some plays where, unfortunately, even when we saw good technique and good effort, he still got run over. If they want to run, they're going to either have to go two tight end or they're going to have to even play more Isaac Sayamalo as the extra tight end. That's it. 73 Sayamalo is, is a guy that has done that as the sixth lineman. Um, you know, Richard Rodgers, who was going to play a, a multifaceted role, he's a better blocker than Ertz. You know, he's on injury reserve with the possibility he returns later in the season, but that's not good. And I think you, this is something, I'm glad you mentioned that, that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, even with the issues that the Bucks have at DM with JPP possibly out, uh, not much behind him. Uh, they're really strong up the middle. Uh, the Bucks are at D tackle. Remember uh, Bo Allen, who's really good, r- very underrated football players there. So, um, to me though, the Eagles have such an advantage uh, with being aggressive here with the banged up cornerbacks for the Bucks, and their safeties are very average. They should be bombs away. Protection, challenge them deep. That should be because they don't have the players. The, the Falcons have the secondary. The Bucks don't have it. This should be bombs away. I expect now Doug may come out just to get Nick in a rhythm, which is what coaches do to get him to get him comfortable. But then it's got to be bombs away. I don't care about the. You don't need. By the way, there's this fallacy. You don't need to have a great run game to be aggressive and throw the football. That, no, that's old school. Throw the football. That's how you beat the Buccaneers because they are in real trouble at corner. And I also think, Bill, we noticed that if you speed it up on them, if you come out with the right package, speed it up, and don't let them sub, you can catch them. Them in some really unfavorable matchups with, say, a guy like Darren Sproles, right? Because the the Saints used Alvin Kamara about six or seven times as a weapon on that first oh, series alone. Him. I mean, he absolutely yeah. blew him away from both a running and a, and a receiving standpoint, right, Bill? Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think because the Eagles, they averaged 4.1 yards a rush. So that's a Good job because that puts you in second and medium. And even if you don't get a pass completion on second down, you're still in third and medium. So your playbook is still wide open. It's when you get backed up into the red zone, when you're the opposite red zone, and you have those third long situations, your your, your playbook really collapses in on you. So I think they did a good job managing the game. But this week they got to pick it up. In the running game, I think you're going to see maybe a little bit more unbalanced. You might see a little bit more heavy to go in there with two tights and possibly bring in the big games. Instead of bringing an extra, you can bring another tight end, but actually another tackle, put him at the tight end spot, and then have a heavy formation. But I think also to get that rhythm going, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some no huddle early in the ballgame, just to get Nick moving a little bit, because to me, when you look at it, he performs much better when he's in rhythm, and also with the no huddle, it limits the substitution from Tampa Bay. And with those guys banged up in the secondary, this will keep the nickel and the dime off the field, and that's to the advantage of the Eagles. So look for the no huddle. Bill, Mike Wallace said the other day, we were talking to him about just different coverages, and he said that Tampa plays a lot of quarters coverage, and, and he said that that's a good coverage for a team to make bigger plays, more so than, say, trying to do it against what Atlanta showed. How, is, how would you, if you were running the Eagles, attack a team that plays a lot of quarters coverage? Well, you can do that in a, you know, in a variety of ways, but from the throwing the ball down the field, you're going to have to do it with motion. So when you put the motion in, you're going to be able to see you can't disguise it forever. And once a guy goes in motion, he goes behind the quarterback – the other defense has to do something. You have to make them commit this, uh, to, to whatever defense they're going. Now, you can still play games on the side that you're going to, and if it's man or zone, you can still disguise it. 
But usually you're going to be able to see if it's man or zone to the motion side just by the way the defense reacts. So I would do a lot of motion. You also can see a lot of bunch formation. When you go bunch, it's really tough to disguise it because everybody's got to figure out who their man is. And if somebody gets picked, then you're going to have guys running free, especially if you're in man coverage. So I would expect the Eagles, if they're going to attack this Tampa Bay defense, to do a lot of motion, to do some bunch formations, and do multiple coverage. In other words, instead of going base, Go tight end to one side, go slot, and either go to a trips formation, and then you have multiple levels. In other words, get Nick in the, in, in the move a little bit, and you have medium, high, and low in front of you. So if you're going to be pressured, in other words, Nick doesn't have to go to the front side and then quickly go to the back side. He can have all his progressions right in front of him, short, medium, deep. And I think that's going to give him an advantage along with the pace. All right, we got a question from uh, Roger on Facebook. He's on the uh, watching on the Go Birds Facebook Live feed, and he asks a very, very important question for this game coming up. And the question is simply, guys, can Ryan Fitzpatrick really be that good? <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't Not imagine again. that Not he again. can, right? Look, he played out of his mind, but you have to look at the Saint defense was just not there. They were not ready. Uh, although say, the Saints turned around their defense last season, mm-hmm. and the Bucks have an excellent receiver core. Even without Deshaun, they're, in, they're still in pretty good shape. And uh, Adam Humphreys is their slot receiver, by the way. I, I just don't see the Bucks' offensive line holding up against this Eagles' defense and front and rotation on the D-line and all that Jim Schwartz has to work with here. I just think that, to answer his question, I think the Eagles could dominate Ryan Fitzpatrick. Because generally, the belief has been, because he's a turnover-prone quarterback, the more he plays, the more mistakes he made. Mm -hmm. Look, he played out of his mind. And the crazy thing is, 21 completions, but over 400 yards. That's insane. That is insane. I'm actually scrolling through his game logs right now, his career game logs, to see if he's ever thrown for 300 yards in two consecutive games. I already know he hasn't thrown for 400 yards <laughs> in consecutive games, but give me a minute and I'll answer that. Bill, I mean, you had to be pretty shocked to see Ryan Fitzpatrick not only throw four touchdowns, but also run for another against that Saints defense. Fitz magic, and I saw Fitzmagic <laughs> when he was at when he was at Harvard. I called a lot of, of games on C at eight, and we had uh, some Harvard games. And you could just tell the type of presence that he has. Smart guy was able to. He's athletic for a guy that you think is a pocket passer, and you saw that last week. But make no mistake about it: the Eagles front seven and the New Orleans Saints front seven are completely different. <laughs> Fitzmagic is going to be a lot sore on Monday versus last Monday when he comes out of the Eagles game. There's no doubt about it that you're going to see the Eagles dictate to Fitzmagic. They're not going to let Fitzpatrick sit in that pocket and do the things that he did. His completion percentage was off the charts, and the yards per completion was ridiculous. That's not going to happen against this Eagles secondary. Guys, I'm looking through Ryan Fitzpatrick's career game logs, and I've yet, I'm in 2015 here, I've yet to find a time, and he's been a starter for a while, where he's had back-to-back games over 300 yards. Yeah, back-to-back. I've not seen it once. Texans, Rams, Jets, Bucks. Right, Bills, yeah, he's, right. he's sure. been with everybody. Yeah, I have not. So he has never thrown for 300 yards in back-to-back games. So, so, so just yeah, ponder yeah. that. He got it all out in the and season. By the opener. way, the, the the Bucks better an average offensive line, but I think where they're going, Eagles are going to have an advantage is in the interior with Fletcher Cox, mm-hmm. uh, who played. Seemed to. Be, what do you guys think? I looked from just from the press box. He played well. Did no, he, play he well? just he completely dominated. Seemed like he did, I thought yeah. Bennett made a huge impact too they're in the snaps. That he How were they the using him? Inside and out. Inside and out. Saw him a lot of inside. I mean, Brandon yeah. probably played more outside than he did last year mm-hmm. because now you have 
Bennett being able to go inside and play next to Fletcher Cox. We have another Facebook question, fellas. Okay. This one comes from Keith, and it's the question is, do you see Corey Clement in the game plan this week? Yeah, the, the game plan was odd. Again, Sproles not only was the starter, that's only, starter only means the opening play, but in reality, he was the guy for the first quarter. And Clement was used sparingly uh, for whatever reason. Now, he almost scored, as you know. Uh, the fal- one Falcon defender made a touchdown-saving tackle. He would have had a touchdown. But, you know, Jai is their main back. That Their, their goal is to get a Jai 12 to 15 carries a game. Uh, he had 15. Uh, I think that's probably the most he's going to get most games. Clements is main backup. And Sproles is, I still think it'll wind up being a five to eight touches per game. Uh, it was, an again, an odd game plan. I didn't, no one saw this. All of us thought last week the Eagles would come out a lot of two tight ends. Bill talked about it, that we may see it this game. Because quite frankly, Goddard may even be a better blocker than Ertz right now. May. No, don't say may. He's a better blocker than Ertz right now. He needs to be on the field more, and it's got to be early because when they run, they've got to be more successful because I think Bill talked about it. They've got to help Nick out. Nick needs to get into a rhythm. How do you do that? You can get your running game going. Short pass a game to get him accurate early. Then it bombs away. Attack those corners. Guys, let, what, what do we think here? As well, we, Bill, we, I mean, don't, yeah. you th- don't you think that the, you mentioned them going hurry up from the start? Don't you think that Clement, maybe even more so than Ajayi, is, you know, Clement and Sproles are the guys that you want on the field for that so that when you get them in a look three or four plays into a drive and you like a matchup, you flex one of those guys into the slot against the linebacker and try to get that, win that matchup. Yeah, and I just think that the Eagles didn't really have a lot of sustained drives, so their play calling was limited because next thing you know, they have one series, one first down punt, maybe two first downs punt, so they never got into a rhythm, and Corey didn't see the field as much as we all thought he was going to be, but I think it's because if you look at the snaps, they just didn't have a lot of snaps or a lot of sustained drives, and that's something that I think you're going to see a, a big change of this week. I think that... The one thing, if you're going to go bombs away, Adam points it out, guys, it's going to happen this week. And that's because the Eagles are going to do a much better job with the play action. Because they didn't have any RPOs, they never were able to really affect that middle safety. And if you don't affect the middle safety, it's really difficult unless you run a fade route or unless you run right down the sideline to throw a bombs away because you're going to have that guy over top way back there 30 yards down the field affecting the deep passes and getting a chance to intercept it. So the Eagles got to do a better job with formations, with pace, and get that running game going so you get to play action. Very few times in the National Football League does a guy get a one, two, three, four, five-step drop and just throw the ball down the field. A lot of it's off of play action, mm-hmm. and I think the Eagles are going to see that. They're going to have to do it this week because the only way you're going to get Tampa Bay out of that high, high safety is to have some running game and force that safety to come down into the running game. All right, one last question. This is a good one, and Bill, I'm going to throw it to you first because this is something that we noticed today and and you can explain better. The question comes from Rob, and it's, do you guys see Mike Wallace being a bigger part of the offense this week? Bill, you know, we saw some opportunities where Wallace could have been involved and the ball just didn't get there. Yeah, I mean, he... Dynamic playmaker. He can make plays. He's got better than average hands. Um, I just think, for whatever reason, the Eagles just didn't get things going. And then once you got into a tight ball game, it's almost like a, a baseball game in the seventh or eighth inning. You're just playing the one run game. You're not really taking chances. You're trying to keep guys off a of second base. You're doing everything you can. And if you're trying to get a guy on base, you're going to bunt him over. You're not looking for the home run. The Eagles just did not have a good, did do a good job of extending the playbook and throwing the ball down the field. And they played it very close, almost like they said to Nick. 
Don't lose the game for us. Don't worry about winning the game, right. but just don't lose mm-hmm. the game for us. And you saw that in the play call. It's called taking what the defense gives in that right. regard, yeah. And That's ba- true, and exactly right. And I think Mike Wallace has a chance to have a much bigger game. I would look for him, and especially early on, for some of those long crossovers or some of those deep comebacks, because if he can threaten deep, he'll be able to get those deep out routes and the timing routes, the five-step, 15-yard out routes. And the one thing I wanted to say, too, is Fitzpatrick had a great game because of the way that the the whole the whole wide receiving core did. But if Deshaun is not in that game, watch how it affects Fitzpatrick. Yeah, no doubt about it, because Deshaun tilts the field. And by the way, Mike Wallace was the one of the most feared deep ball receivers in the National Football League for many years. Now, uh, two years ago, he had a great season with the Ravens. Last season, the Ravens did not want him after he played. He was did not have a good season. And Mike did not have a great week one. But again, I think it's going to be bombs away. I think if we look at our predictions here, I think the Eagles blow them out. I think this is, I think the, the Bucks had an emotional game. I talked to the Raiders about uh, the week that they, that Nick Foles and the Eagles went and beat them uh, when Nick had seven touchdowns. Uh, the week before, they had an emotional game at home against the Steelers. They were spent. It was like the game of the year for them because they were a bad football team. And the next week at home against the Eagles, the Eagles smoked them. They were not there mentally. Mm-hmm. And I, you see that with Tampa I, I Bay, kind of that hangover game. I, no, I'm listening. I'm with you. I, I would be stunned. <laughs> That's a division game they I, open up the year I with. I would be stunned if they lost the game, but I'd be very surprised if they didn't blow them out. Now, blow out, you could, you know, you could call it on what the spread is, but right. I would three think... Three and they, a half. Okay, I think they win by 10 or more. Yeah, Eagles are giving three and a half, course, so they're favored yeah. by three and a half. I, I would agree with you. I tend to think the Eagles are actually going to win by no fewer than 13 points, but I will say this. You're right with Deshaun out. The safety then slides over to Mike Evans, so that helps. You know, you give Mike Evans a little bit of coverage. If you're going to watch one matchup in this game, not necessarily player to player, but skill set versus skill set, beware of the Mike Evans double move on Jalen Mills. Okay, oh, we know about Jalen's susceptibility yes. to it. Yes. Mike, for a guy who's like six four, I mean, a really tall guy, puts a heck of a double move on, and we'll be watching for that on Sunday. Bill, what do you got? Well, I, I think that this is uh, a tale of you're going to see. They always say teams. You guess you can say teams get the most advanced. The, the better they are, you can really judge them in that first week versus the second week. So I think you're going to see the Eagles, depending on the weather. Now, guys, keep in mind there's a whole oh, lot the three thirty thunderstorm there in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Right, so you're going to see this could potentially be a, a lot of rain down there, and it's going to be a lot. It's definitely going to be a wet track, but I still think the Eagles are a two touchdown favorite in this football game for sure. Wow! And I'd be surprised if they didn't win by more than two touchdowns. So I'm looking at like a 27, 28 to 10 ball game, Eagles. Well, we're all going to look pretty bad on uh, next Wednesday night if the Eagles don't win this game, but that's all right. We'll own up to it, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun breaking it down. So we will be back most likely next Wednesday night, probably the same time here, eight thirty. For the next Inside the Birds podcast, that'll do it for this one. For Adam Kaplan, for Billy Osborne, for the producer, John Barchard, and everybody, Adam and I wave to our friends on Facebook Live. We want to thank hey you boys all and girls. Thank for you. joining us. It's been a great ride, and come back and see us again next week. See you later, everyone. Thank you.